All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talking, touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. Hello, everyone. I'm Sasha Wolf, recording today and hopefully forever from the Airstream in Woodstock, New York. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a, dying to see it. What a long, strange anyway, trip sorry. it's been. Um I broke in too early. Uh, no, I love the break-in. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your favorite guy, Mr. New Jersey, Mr. Michael Chauvin Dalton. Hello, Michael. Hey. Well, of course, um, I get to see uh, photos of, of the stages, some of the crazy stages of the renovation. Yeah. But, uh, oh, my God, it's, I can't wait to... To come visit. And, well, and, well, you're, and yeah, uh, you're going to be here soon. Yes. Yes. Taylor Salesback and I will be there for a little photo work retreat. Yeah, we're going to do a upstate photo work retreat in about a month. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it'll be so much fun. It's it's hard. I don't want to brag too much about the Airstream, but it's <laughs> <laughs> it's really beautiful. Turned out to be an incredibly <sighs> beautiful space filled with beautiful woods. We, my cabinet mm. makers did an amazing job and um, lots of birch maple, tons of cherry wood. And it's, oh, yeah. I have a wood burning stove in here and it's just yummy and cozy and yet not claustrophobic, strangely. So um, <laughs> that's it, great. it's worked out. Yay. Oh, we're going to have to name, name the Airstream. I don't know, Camp Photo Work or something. Well, it's already got a name. <laughs> it's, it's called Obi, which is not in any way connected to Star oh. Wars, but someday I'll tell the story. We'll save that of why okay. it's named Obi. There, 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 there is a reason and it does make perfect sense. And All it right has then. to do with Peanut. So there's a little teaser. I feel like there's a contest involved here. Yeah, right. <laughs> no one would get it. It's so obscure, but yet makes sense. So we have a great guest today and I need to make a little apology yes. because, so our guest today is uh, Raymond Meeks. The show is short. Short and sweet. Short and sweet. Yeah, it's a great episode, but it's short because I had had a root canal, my first, no longer a virgin. Um, <laughs> I'd had a root canal on one of my front bottom teeth. Mm the day before Ray and I recorded and I was in so much pain. I mean, I am, I really am, I'm sure everyone says this, but I'm very, I'm, I'm tough when it comes to enduring pain, but. Well, to your credit, I, I didn't know that listening to it until you said it. Yeah. So yeah, you really uh, soldiered through that one. Yes. I, I was, it was so painful to talk and just every time I opened my mouth, because again, front bottom tooth. Mm. So at a certain point, I could not talk anymore. I just, I was, you know, I had like tears in my eyes. So I loved talking to Ray until it became just so painful. So I, I wrapped it up early. I apologize to Ray, apologize to the audience, because it really is, it's such a moving and interesting episode, but we'll have Ray back Ray's a friend of mine. We we live really close to yeah. each other up here. Um, <laughs> you mentioned the the stones throw from each other yeah. <laughs> once or twice. Yeah. So so we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up with Ray when I'm. Well, it it doesn't know. feel like you cut off Ray at all. Good. And 
uh, I think it's a beautiful conversation, uh, Ray, the way Ray speaks about his work and the way he works and the way he started in photography. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. It's just such beautiful stories, beautiful, beautiful stories. And the way he stays true to himself. Uh, it's it's great. It's just a great episode. Yeah. His that story of how he got into photography took mm-hmm. me completely by surprise. It did. And <laughs> it absolutely did. It's, yes. well, it's it may be the most moving origin right. story it's so he was lovely. ready to move on and, and you were uh what <laughs> yeah because it's, wait a minute it's really it's really beautiful i mean it's really it is. it's so it's really i found it so moving it's um, one of the best origin stories i've heard on the show yeah yes. for sure yep you know so often it's my dad gave me a camera and by the way that happened <laughs> to me that's my origin yeah story me too yeah. Um, yeah yeah here yep. kid stay busy that's um, right. <laughs> That's right. Go outside and play. Here's the camera. <laughs> Get out of the house. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, um, we've got great shows coming up. Yes. We have David Benjamin Sherry next. It's obviously was a sort of a, a bunch of men. A little uh, male, male heavy. Photographers, male heavy <laughs> starting season three. But after David Benjamin Sherry, we have... Not in this order necessarily, but we have right. Alessandra Sanguinetti, we have Allison Rossiter, Vanessa Winship, so... Yeah, um, and more. And, and more, and yeah. It's it's really exciting, the lineup that's coming up. Yeah, yes. the ladies are, are coming in. <laughs> um, all right, so Michael, why don't we get to it? Um, if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure, and here is your conversation with Raymond Meeks. Raymond Meeks, welcome to the Photo Work Podcast. And um, I have to just tell our audience what a gentleman you are because we were supposed to record yesterday, but I wound up having an emergency (laughs) root canal. (laughs) And oh my God, I was in so much pain. So we pushed it to today where, as you and I just discussed, I'm in a different kind of pain, but it doesn't feel like I'm being electrocuted when I talk. So, Yeah, you can laugh good. at that. Yeah. I um, can't. I'm not allowed to laugh <laughs> no, at it. you can laugh at that. It's real pain. But I actually went by your place uh, yesterday to drop off recording equipment and uh, on my way to the dentist. And you and I are really close. We're about 15 minutes apart. You're in Kingston. I'm in Woodstock. And Mm -hmm. which might beg the question, why aren't we recording in the same place? But as it turns out, and we found this out a while ago, Michael and I, it's actually makes for a better recording when it's like two people sort of talking on the phone, which is what we're doing, and then recording into mics also. But there's something about just staring at someone across the table with a microphone in your face that makes for a less, in my opinion, easygoing conversation. So it's so funny that anyway, I'm just saying it's like, you're so close, but we're, we're doing it this yeah. way. So. Yeah. For me, it's like, uh, it's, for me, it's like FaceTime. I can't do FaceTime. No, FaceTime is very weird. Yeah. I can either look at somebody and observe and study their gestures and expressions, or I can, or I can have a conversation where I'm, you know, present and uh, can't do both. Well, one thing 
reason I mentioned this is because I got to see a sneak peek of your new book when I went by yesterday. So we'll come back to mm-hmm. that. But um, okay. So as we start every episode, if you could just tell the listeners about your background and your bio and you know your journey, how you wound up in mm-hmm. uh, Kingston, New York. It's a long winding <laughs> journey down uh, many one way dead end roads. Uh, so I grew up in the in Ohio. Um, just south of Columbus. I'm one of five children. I'm the second and bookended by two sisters and growing up surrounded by aunts and cousins, like uh, just a lot of estrogen uh-huh. <laughs> on uh, in my upbringing because my mother, my mother's mother was Italian and so large family and mostly women. And my dad's uh, side of the family was less present in my life growing up. So uh, having sisters on, you know, younger and older sister and all of us within four years of each other, it probably primed me for um, some sensitivity and, you know, informed my sensibility. At the same time, like I'm, I'm very much interested like in uh, team sports. I grew up athletic and playing football and loving wrestling. And uh, so I had this sort of dual <laughs> interest, but nothing that would suggest a creative, a life of, of uh, creativity mm-hmm. and using my imagination and making and my father sold insurance. My mother worked at the office with him. We were left alone a lot of the time to just duke it out all day long, my older sister and I. And so, that yeah, there was nothing really to suggest. And when I graduated high school, I really had no idea what I was going to do. I was really kind of directionless. And I was taking, uh, studying anthropology at Ohio State and was going through a really difficult emotional period after a breakup. And uh, the only person that would kind of take me in was my grandmother. And she did. She, you know, she, I went to her house on a Sunday, kind of distraught. And she said, be here on Monday. We're going to spend the whole week scraping paint off the garage, uh, doing gardening work. It's like, I mean, it it was taking my mind off of my Mm -hmm, own, mm -hmm. my own angst. And on the third day I was there and she looked at me and she said, have have you showered (laughs) for the last (laughs) week? And and uh, I said, no, as a matter of fact, I, I haven't. And she called me over to the, she had this big kitchen sink and she was washing my hair and I'm looking up at her and I'm just, I'm in awe of like her beauty and, and her generosity. And, and I realized then like there are no pictures of my grandmother. And, you know, I, I, I sat up and she's telling my head and I said, can I uh, go, to, I got to run out real quick. I'll be right back. So I ran to a camera store and I, a used camera store in Columbus. Uh, it was in this old church. And uh, bought some outdated film and a Canon AE-1 and came back and um, asked my grandmother when we were done at the end of the day when the light was soft if I could do some portraits of her. And that's that's where it kind of began. Uh, wow, for me, I didn't visually. know that story. That's an amazing story. Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's the it's kind of the best story. It's the, you know, for me personally, I, just because I didn't have, there was nothing to suggest that I would be doing something visually creative or creative in any way. And yeah, from there, it was just, it became almost an instant uh, fascination turned passion because I took the film to a lab for quick processing, got the prints back and they, they weren't anything. I mean, they were just void of any deep, any like shadows or any highlights. It was just like this contrasty picture. And I looked at the negatives and I could see the information was in the negative, but it wasn't in the print. So I was like, how do I, how do I get that information that's in that negative in this print? You know, so then it's going back to that used camera store, <laughs> buying an enlarger and chemistry and, you know, and processing film in my kitchen sink and then setting up a, an enlarger in my closet in my bedroom. 
and no ventilation, no air conditioning, just in there starting to learn how to make my own prints and get wow. and tra transfer as much information on the negative as I wanted to, to mm -hmm. just to have that performative, interpretive experience as well. So then it was just a matter of like, okay, now how do I, how do I get to do this the rest of my life? You know? So and what came It's been next? that ever since. Defense of the art life. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I knew, I mean, I never, I could never hold down a job because I could never do somebody else's work for right. them, you know, yeah. like I had to care about it. So for me, next was really, you know, my mother's concern for me always was just how is this young man going to survive in the world? How is he going to make a living, you know? I mean, she was always, always concerned about that for me. And mm -hmm. I had that concern too. I didn't know what I was going to do. So my focus became, you know, how do I make a living? And, and that was doing commercial work. That was like, I'm going to mm -hmm. have to be a commercial photographer. And so I just, uh, I poured all my energy into that, into like, move, I moved to Boston. I assisted photographers there for two years. And that, that's where I learned to print. I would print from 10 o'clock at night till six o'clock in the morning in a gang dark room because I didn't want to be around other people or... I just wanted to have the whole place to myself so I could use three enlargers and have all the sinks and have all the trays set up. And and I was assisting and I was making a decent living assisting, you know, enough to support myself. And then I put together a portfolio and I went to New York and um, started visiting magazines and then getting magazine assignments that would, you know, send me off to do stories. And back then we had a Polaroid 665. It was a positive negative Polaroid in black and white. So you would expose and then you would wait a minute, uh, peel apart, and you would have a positive print. You would also have a negative that if you washed and fixed, you could then print from. And so I would go on these magazine assignments and I could essentially, over the period, if I was shooting something for three or four days, I would come back at the end of each day and I would pull my negatives out of a bucket of water <laughs> and hang them and dry them while I was also laying out my story with the positive mm -hmm. prints. So it was this sort of immersive workshop of learning about sequence, learning about editing, and trying to shape the story before I even got home, you know? And at this point, are you, like, just give me a sense of what you know about the world of fine art photography at this point and how you learned about it. Like, whose work mm -hmm. are you looking at? And how did you know to look at whatever work you were looking at? Yeah. I mean, the only way I knew what to look at was the way most of us. I mean, what is it that excites me and interests me? And at that time, in the beginning, I mean, I, because I had no formative introduction by way of school, it's just gravitating towards what I loved. And um, when I was assisting the photographer I worked for primarily, we would go to galleries when we were in Santa Fe and you know, go to Andrew Smith's gallery in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And he had, he would have a Stieglitz exhibition of Giorgio O'Keefe mm -hmm. portraits. And so that set me early on to, to Stieglitz and then to Steichen and then, you know, Sudek and then Walker Evans. And then, so I just started building from there. Wow. And, uh, it's funny and you it say really, Stieglitz, yeah. I'm sorry, but I have to just draw the parallel you know, Stieglitz mm. and, and Georgia O'Keeffe and, mm -hmm. and a lot mm -hmm. of the work you, you make now. Yeah, very much so. But I was also, I was also at the same time still completely fascinated by tonality, by mm -hmm. what was possible in the way of the print. Whenever I had a, an assignment anywhere near Washington, D.C., I would go to the National Gallery of Art and there was a woman, Carlotta Owens, who worked in the prints and drawings. And I would call her to let her know I was coming and 
she would uh, open this this sort of door that was hidden right inside the entrance to the National Gallery of Art, and I would go back into the archive room and go through the card catalogs there and write down the numbers of the prints that I wanted to look at. And so I would look at platinum print, a photogravure, a silver gelatin print of a Stieglitz image, and she would wheel them out, and I could, you could just, I could, wow. you know observe them in different types of lights i could see like how he would varnish his platinum prints so the the printmaking process became really important and i and i i delved in for quite a while into like platinum printing and uh silver printing and making you know enlarged negatives and then collodion <laughs> like i've done all of those processes just out of curiosity and now i'm just really glad we still have ilford paper and you know i don't have to do any of that anymore do you consider yourself an aestheticist i think i i think i am yes i mean that's an evolving thing too mm-hmm. that, what does that mean though what is the status what do you mean by that i guess someone who's you know preoccupied and and puts the aesthetics you know front and center of their picture making you know uh-huh. as compared to politics or oh yeah yeah, definitely. Form. Yeah. Form is what's important to me. The object is important to me. The presence that an object can convey, mm-hmm. you know, those qualities that are ineffable, but but present in an object, in a work of art, for me, was always present in the work I was looking at starting out and now becomes less so as we've evolved to digital. And I'm, I use digital, but it's just harder to imbue a print with uh, that sort of presence when it's, uh, you know, an inkjet print. So why um, do you shoot digitally? Because um, it frees me up right now. I become less rigid in my way of photographing. Everything is, for me now, is handheld. It allows for experimentation. Um, I'm lazy. And, <laughs> or I've become, la- I, I've become maybe a little more complacent. But also, I want to know this, we're not, I don't think we're going back backwards or going forward. So I want to know intimately how this thing can be used, how this tool mm-hmm. and technology can be used. And I still, even when I shoot digital, like right now, I just finished printing an exhibition that I had photographed all digitally, but I end up making silver gelatin prints in the dark room by working with digital files and making an enlarged negative. And yeah, you're making a, a digital silver print. Well, I'm making a, I'm making a silver print with a digital right. negative. Yep. Yes. And that allows still for the process. It allows for recovery um, in the dark room. And I think those tools like recovery and the analog process of using chemistry and papers that have built-in restraint, um, like all those, those defaults are still really important. Well, no, I think it's really important to bring up because I think a lot of people don't realize that you can make silver prints from a digital file. And, you know, that really does you know, give you more options uh, where the object is concerned. Yeah. Most of all, it it allows for mistakes for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It allows for overexposure, underexposure. It allows for underdevelopment. It allows for recovery of like, oh, the print's too dark. Well, I can now I can bleach the print back Mm -hmm. or I can, you know, it's too light or it's I can now I can tone it in selenium. And all those, all that handling, I think, ultimately is what gives this object, the print, a certain quality and a certain presence. So you've had a uh, you, you've had a good book career thus far, and and you're working on a new book right now. You you once said that I've never made a book where I feel like I know what what it's about. 
Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a bit? Because I think that talks about you know your way of working. It mm-hmm. just gets us to your way of working and how you think about making pictures. Well, I don't. I don't work. I, I mean, I wouldn't say that I work in terms of a project, and certainly not a book project per se. So I'm. I am mostly just responding to the world that's around me and that's immediate, in my backyard or close vicinity, and the people that populate my world, the ones that fascinate me, and the ones that I want to know. You know, and the places I want to know. And I'm just photographing, and then a deadline of some kind will be imposed for a variety of reasons, whether I've agreed to do a book or whether I just need to self-publish something so that I can put a little money in the bank and feed myself, you know? So it it is, is at that time that I have to find a way to contain, you know, a body of work and make order. Yeah. To make, to make order to also to understand not just what I'm interested in, but what I kind of believe wants to be, wants to come into the world, mm-hmm. you know, in a certain way, mm-hmm. which sounds a bit existential, but I, but I do believe that like there's a, that I'm kind of a conduit, you know, so I'm, I'm just photographing and then based on what I photograph and how I, how I edit and how I sequence, then it becomes a bit more maybe socially concerned or it becomes more, it's, that's, that's where I start to understand, okay, this is what this is what visually interests me in the way of form and then in the way of editing and sequencing and putting a book together. This is where my concerns lie, you know, or this is what I'm curious about. This is what I don't understand and I want to understand. How long and is that process? It depends. I mean, sometimes, I, you know, like because I'm a chronic procrastinator, it can be a pretty short. I mean, I'm always engaged in it in some way, but the actual process itself can be something that it happens quickly, like within, you know, Cyprian Honey Cathedral. You know, when I agreed to, when I agreed to do that book with Michael, we did that book probably in five months um, because I already had the work. It was just a matter of saying, okay, because Michael thought we would do it later, and I told him, well, we we can do it sooner. It's just really a matter. I'll be doing this work my entire life, so it's a matter of putting a stake in the ground here and one here and scooping out this work mm-hmm. and just laying it out and seeing what it is that wants to come forward. You know, You're I don't talking about there Michael was, Mack. I just want to mm-hmm. be clear. Yeah, yeah Mac. Michael Mack. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe there was like one book. I mean, there's so many possibilities for what that body of work could have conveyed. It just, this is the one we settled on and a different edit, a different context, a different title, different publisher, and it's a completely different book. Would you ever want to take the pictures from that time and make a different book? Maybe. It's hard to imagine now because I, I just feel like I'm always wanting to move forward. And I, mm-hmm. I can hardly look at anything I've ever made in the past and not feel like my better pictures are still out ahead. You oh, know? That's a great feeling. It is. At the same time, like I, I, really, wish I, I really wish I could go back and because I, I love the idea of that, but I just don't think it's a, a reality. I think I'll just, I mean, there are certain images that I could, you know, I could perform differently in the way of a print. Mm-hmm. I, could, I, could, I could express it differently now. And then maybe the image holds up still compositionally, but the way I used to print, the way I used to express my, my prints or my images is different now than it was, you know, even five years ago. So I don't know about going back. It seems like everything is still, still out in front. You make pictures that are extremely subtle, very poetic, very impressionistic. You know, this is a question that may not have an answer, but how do you know with such subtle pictures when you've got one that's that's good to you? 
I don't know that we can know that. I don't know that I can know that, Mm -hmm. you know? Again, it's just all like, it's so idiosyncratic and it's so, you know, the way that we interpret and then express, the way that I interpret and express something feels common, you know? It doesn't feel extraordinary. It just feels like, you know, this is the way, this is the way it wants to be expressed or the way I want to express it. And subtlety has been has been something that i've if that's present it's something i've evolved towards because i'm relying less now on an individual picture to do something Mm -hmm. and to contain everything i'm i'm hoping to benefit from the use of the book form and of seriality and of uh being able to compound imagery so that it conjures up broader meaning but also fluid meaning fluid and that it could that the that the meaning can continue to evolve as you revisit it or as as you evolve as a person mm-hmm. as a viewer or me as a maker you know it can continue to change based on what's happening inside of a person or what's happening out in the world you know it's not so locked down does that so, work in an exhibition a lot harder in an exhibition <laughs> you know where the wall is real estate and it's you know being paid for and a dealer or a gallery has to wants to put something up that can sell, you know, unless we're talking about a museum space. I'm thinking about a art gallery where there's also just not as much real estate unless you're mm-hmm. making all 11 by 14 prints or something and, mm-hmm. you know, getting the whole book edited in. But if you had to choose 20 prints for an exhibition, yeah. like ha- yeah. ha- how does that work? There's going to be a, a measure of pulling the greatest hits out of out of it, you know, out of a, a body of work, ones that have uh, individual appeal, individual beauty, a form that can it expresses itself in a body of work, but also as a single picture. But I'm still relying on the book mm-hmm. to, to carry a lot of that, to impose a lot of possibility on that single image. So I'm, you know, even though the book can't be put on the wall, the book is available. The book has been seen and people respond to single pictures in the book. But that, that single picture for that person also recalls the entire body of work. Mm-hmm, of course. So when they see that single picture, they're not thinking just of that picture. They're thinking of what that the entire experience of that book maybe meant to them. I hope that's the case. Yeah, no, I think it is the case. So you started, you work with Julie Casemore out in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. When did yep. that relationship start? That was, um, I'm so bad with time, but I think you know, it was probably three summers ago, uh, three years ago before before um, shutdowns. And, and that space in particular, and Julie was willing to, to let me explore the possibilities of more of the, the book form in that space because it is a large space. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful space. It's a really gorgeous space. It's, um, it's, you know, it's kind of bare and minimal and clean. But she, yeah, she was just completely supportive of whatever vision I wanted to put on the wall. And she's smart enough to know that those images that perhaps aren't going, won't sell, will color and will influence and inform the work that, mm-hmm. that can sell. I don't know. She's, uh, she's just one of the few gallerists that I know where you just don't feel the economics of, you don't feel the business. I mean, she's, she's doing well, I think, but you don't, she doesn't lead with that where you don't feel like it's about business or about economics you right. feel like it's about exp- an experience and about well, she's preserving the integrity of the work yeah she's uh she's really remarkable in yeah, that way she's wonderful and, yeah even now we're you know i just sent off an exhibition um some pictures for perry photo mm-hmm. and even in that space 
you know, a commercial trade <laughs> fair, we'll call it. She's trying to curate a space that, you know, feels like she's showing three, maybe four artists within that space, but trying to still create an experience within that space as opposed to gallerists who maybe are a little less confident or sure of what they're doing and they just want to put up as much as they can in the hopes that something will sell or something will stick. Yeah. So I'm um, pushing towards this because what I want to ask you is after many years of toiling away, you know, how did it feel to get a offer from a gallerist like Julie? And I mean, did it feel like sort of a milestone? And how has it cha uh, changed your mm -hmm. sense of your life as an artist? Yeah. it's It was the first show. I mean, I think we hung framed and hung like 80 pictures and it's the first time it's the first time that i was able to really feel like an expansive to create a more expansive experience with my work and one where i could even start to see an evolution see where yeah i mean to be honest it, it all just seemed like it, it all seemed a little too good to be true mm -hmm. <laughs> to have to have someone like Julie, who just every time I called and said, I want, can I, you know, I'm thinking about this. I would love to try it. I don't, you know, I can understand where it's, this thing may not sell or, you know, whatever. And she, she's just like, Ray, I just want you to make the exhibition you feel really good about, mm -hmm. that you, you know, that you're going to be proud of. And that was her, that was her response throughout. Like, it was always like, I, I just want, I just want this to fulfill whatever vision you have. Michael Mack is the same way, you know, so now I'm surrounded by, by publisher and a gallerist who, both are just wanting me to bring what, you know, has the potential to be singular or unique or idiosyncratic, you know, like they want that, they want that to come through in the experience. And Julie having the exhibition there was, I would say was instrumental in a lot of things happening from that point on. Doors opening, being taken a little more seriously, thinking about my work in ways other than, uh, I don't know, romantic or, <laughs> you know, like it, it I was able to build, I, I guess it just created a new context for my work, maybe. I don't know. And it does open doors practically, right, as far as grants Absolutely. and, and Absolutely. residencies, and it really builds a foundation, I think, no? Absolutely. Even just to have photographs of the installation and to, you know, I mean, Julie, the, the, I mean, it just all of a sudden, it put the work in a contemporary vein also, I would say, so much of... Being represented by a gallery and being a gallery artist is who you find yourself amongst, who, the company of the other artist, you know, bears an influence on how your work is perceived and seen. So now my work is being framed, presented, shown, represented in a space that feels to me contemporary and modern. There's still, you know, as opposed to if, I, if it were <laughs> that work were shown, you know, in a darker room with, you know, I don't know, different framing and... Wood-paneled walls. Wood-paneled walls, <laughs> what I was going to say, but I didn't want to say it. But uh, yeah, then, it's, then, it, then it takes on a different, a different yeah, mood. Yeah, of course. A diff a different. Yeah. So, so it, for me, it was just, it, it allowed me to see and experience the work in a fresh way. And it really has been a sort of a transition point for me in the way I think about presenting my work and what other work, what other gallery artists are um, I'm sharing space with. And I want to be clear that, you know, I, I've said this on the podcast many times, I don't believe today that you need a gallery to have a successful career. I actually think that, you know, a lot of people who we think of as like real book artists are having really incredible careers without 
you know, having a, a dealer and are able to, you know, then have museum shows, et cetera. So I do want to be clear about that, but I, I brought it up with you because I do think that Julie Case Moore is a, a special gallerist and represents a lot of, you know, really wonderful artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. And that had to have been, you know, an important sort of milestone. But clearly you were already you know, really coming up. But not making a living. But not making a living. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, unless you have a, a full-time job or something else you do as an occupation to afford the time and space and the resources to make the work for a book, you know, like I, I don't have that, nor do I want to have that. I, I do get to teach occasionally and I do enjoy it, but I don't want to, I wouldn't want to do it, you know, full-time and, and deal with uh, bureaucracy and institutions. So you've, you've been overseas a lot the past year. Can you talk a little bit about, mm-hmm. about that and what, what you're doing? Yeah. So um, I, was, I was nominated for this award called the Immersion Grant Prize, and uh, I had to make, create a proposal that was based in France. So I, I offered a proposal along with a body of work I was shortlisted for and um, was awarded the prize. And it required me to be in France for an extended period of time and to make work towards this proposal (laughs) that I had written and to agree to a schedule for a book um, that Mac will publish and an exhibition in Paris and in New York City. So all of a sudden, now now I am working towards a known subject, essentially, or at least that's the way it has felt, you know, like, and with deadlines, you know, like the two things that I've tried to avoid only because I know my impulses and I know my interests and I know that like I probably wouldn't do well with either of those things. Well, how's it going? <laughs> I don't know. I'll let you know. I've got, I've got to show some of the work here soon. I've got to start focusing on it, put it together. I got back at the end of July from Calais in the northern part of well, France. Well, let me know if you want some uh, eyes on it. I'll be, I'll be over. I'll be right there. You're 15 minutes yeah. away, 20 minutes away. <laughs> yeah. You'll I'll be seeing a lot of each other. Yeah. So it's... um. It's a bit unnerving, you know, because I, I proposed this thing and I photographed towards it, but I don't know that I've hit the mark. I also don't think that anybody's going to be holding me that accountable to, mm-hmm. you know, to meet my goal in terms of, um, you know, what the work ends up becoming. But as long as it, as long as it's compelling, as long as it's, you know. So I, I guess essentially what I ended up doing was I, I spent time in southern, in the southern part of France for the first part of, of this year. And then I moved to the northern part of France. I ended up working both the southern border with Spain and then the border on the English Channel. But I think I gravitated towards the places that felt like home, you know, that felt like the Midwest or felt like uh, upstate New York where I live now. Like I gravitated towards the visual language that I'm familiar with, the visual cues, the forms. I think that's inherently the way I was able to work in a foreign Mm -hmm. place, but still have it feel intimate and feel like sounds smart there's a, there's a connection yeah and a place where i could make contact i mean i think more than anything else that's what we're trying to do mm-hmm. is make contact and i mm-hmm. i had to go to a place where i felt like i, I could do that and i avoided photographing i had meant i had intended to do portraits and I, I ended up not doing any portraits at all so that'll be a challenge to like make a book for me because i just feel like character personality can convey so much in a book and a body of work and i won't i don't think i'll have that here so, and is that because you didn't feel any strong enough connection to anyone in particular to I mean I know I know you photographed 
Adriana Alt a lot because mm-hmm. she's someone who you're very close to and is mm-hmm. sort of a central figure in, in your work over the past 10 years, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I, I know you to need that, to need that strong connection to want to photograph a person. And could you just not get there and mm-hmm. those sort of flybys in, in France? Or? <laughs> flyby, that's well said. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I have an intimate connection with Adrian and we have, an, a, we have an agreement of sorts, you know. And so when I was photographing in Calais, um, I chose that place because it's I chose Calais because it's been the center of the refugee crisis. And so I was working, I was volunteering with a refugee agency. And so I got to know some of the refugees to a, a point where I, I tried some portraits. Mm-hmm. And it just felt um, gratuitous in mm-hmm. a way. It felt like, I mean, and I also, having heard what they have been through, you know, it's like, I kind of, I, what I wanted to see if I could do, so I wanted to see if I could be present for them, for their story. Mm-hmm. And do that while not wanting something back from them. Mm-hmm. Like to be engaged in a conversation without studying them for a portrait. Mm-hmm. Just to be present there. And then I also wanted to see if I could hear their story and embrace their story and allow that to inform the pictures I was making outside of that mm-hmm. exchange mm-hmm. without needing to like have a one-to-one translation between their story and now a portrait of this person. Mm-hmm. It just felt like uh, a default, a go-to an easy solution and it and it just relies too much on that individual and I just didn't or a series of individuals and I just didn't feel like I want I wanted to challenge myself to photograph more or less the impression of that person and the, the residue of the experience as opposed to the thing itself and that's going to be the challenge now that's what has me most right <laughs> right yeah 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 I've set myself up for it now I have to I have to follow through I think you'll pull it off knowing you but you know, the thought of you sort of dropping in and trying to make portraits under those conditions, there's nothing about that that sounds like Raymond Meeks to me. So. <laughs> I didn't, well, and I didn't make it sound too, too, uh, no, it's, uh, it's well, not, it's yeah. not you. I mean, some people have a weird, uncanny ability to sort of hop around with different ways of working and styles, and, mm-hmm. and some people don't. And to yeah. be perfectly honest, most of my favorite photographers tend to be extremely consistent in the way they they work and the type of pictures that they make, and you're one of them. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I feel slightly relieved that there's not going to be a uh, a project of yours that I can't relate to you at all. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think eventually, I don't know. I the thing that I somebody we were I was having a conversation recently with some friends at dinner, some other photographers and artists, and somebody posed the question, has photography saved your life? <laughs> I was like, well, the, the imperative of that question, the way it's framed is, it seems a little dramatic. But then I started thinking about it and I thought, you know, I don't know if it's, I would say it saved my life, but man, what, in what a way has it transformed my life? Because- Well, it maybe made your life. Yeah. But I think also like in order for me to make the next, you know, I've, there's always a picture out in front of me that I want to make that I don't know how to make. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to get there, and I think sometimes I think I have the illusion that when I get to that place, then I'll then I'll be able to settle in as a photographer. And of course, you get there, and immediately the bar, you know, raises or the prize is out in front of you still. But along the way, the thing that I found is that in order to make that picture, that next one that I want to make means that I, something inside me has to shift a little bit. Like I have to change something. I have to change something in myself in order to make that picture that I want to make. And in order to make the portrait that I envisioned making in Calais, I didn't have the tools. 
the personal tools to make that picture yet. And I hope to get there. I want to make that picture still, but I just wasn't in that place yet to make it, you know? So I've got hmm. some evolving personally to do before I can make that picture and make it and have it feel authentic or have the exchange feel like it's not one of me taking. I do want to be that, that artist or that human being that could step into that space and have it feel like an exchange, one of a, you know, a give, a give and take and not just a take. That makes sense. It does. But I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering if you feel like there's some deficiency on your part that you respond most authentically right now when you have a meaningful connection with the person that you are photographing. Is that, does that feel like a shortcoming to you? That's what I'm hearing. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's a shortcoming or not, or whether it's just, um, I mean, maybe it's not a shortcoming at all. Maybe it's actually an attribute. It's a shortcoming in the sense that I'm not able to do what I had envisioned doing. That that feels like a shortcoming or a failure of some kind. I would but like the, Ray Meeks to be Ray Meeks. I'm just, that's well, what I vote for. Yeah, that's always better than me trying to be somebody else or anybody trying to be somebody else. But but I, so I think that maybe the advantage of it is, is that I get to be present with the person and not be somewhere else or wanting to be mm -hmm. somewhere else or wanting to do something else like, Gosh, I just, the light's so good right now and this person, the way they're sitting, I just wish I could, I mean, I do have that wish, but at the same time I had to circumnavigate that and just go to like, oh, no, I'm just going to be here with that person. And then mm -hmm, I'm going to trust mm -hmm, that whatever comes mm -hmm. out of me being in this place and, and allowing this person the space and my attention, I'll be able to take that outside of this experience and make a picture that right. embodies that experience right, rather right. than ref reflects it one-to-one, -one, you know? Well, so I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm That's really, really curious to see to see those pictures. And knowing you, I'm sorry, but I'm embarrassed you now. <laughs> but I'm sure they're wonderful. Yeah, well, it's raw material right now, just sitting sitting on hard drives, and yeah, it has me a bit anxious to be honest. Now that because I'm, I get to turn all my attention to it from now until probably March or so when I have to turn everything over. So yeah, I will be calling you for sure, for sure. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ray, thank you so much for spending time with me today and for being flexible yesterday when I showed up and couldn't even smile. <laughs> I think I said to you. You smiled. I smiled you a little smiled. bit. Um, yeah, you smile with your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Those were tears of pain, Ray. Uh, <laughs> um, no, thank you for, for being with me, my all friend. Pleasure. I, I really yeah, all pleasure. appreciate it. And I know you don't love doing these things. So I thanks for the trust. And You made um, it painless. It was like a shot of Novocaine. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we're going with the theme. And uh, I'll see you soon. All right. Okay. Thanks, Sasha. Bye, Ray. All right. Take care. You bye bye. Too. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The associate producer is Taylor Selsback, and the executive producer is Sasha Wolf. Our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and rate us with all the stars available on your listening platform. 